0: Hello, and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Josh Birch, and I lead FTI Consulting's EMEA Cybersecurity Practice. Throughout this podcast series, FTI and guest experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. Today's conversation is centred around cybersecurity in the world of financial services. And I'm delighted to be joined by special guests, Baroness Nikki Morgan and James Longster from Travis Smith, and also by my FDI colleague, Don Good. Welcome, everyone. I'll let my guests introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Baroness Nikki Morgan. I've served in the British Cabinet as Education Secretary and Digital Culture, Media and Sports Secretary. I also chaired the House of Commons Treasury Select Committee for two years, and during that time we took evidence on IT operational resilience in the financial services sector. Uh, Although the final report was published just after I went back into government in 2019 and it's a pleasure to be here today.
2: Hi, I'm James Longster. I'm a partner in Travis Smith's commercial IP and technology department specializing in technology law and data protection. I'm an English qualified solicitor based in London, and I'm also a certified information privacy professional in Europe,
3: and very much looking forward to today's discussion. Hi, I'm Don Good. I'm a managing director for FTI cybersecurity, and I'm based in Dallas, Texas. I work with clients to improve their cybersecurity readiness and resilience, respond to cyber incidents, including ransomware, business email compromise, theft of PII, as well as other sensitive information and intellectual property. I've led complex investigations, oftentimes related to data privacy issues, and I've provided expert testimony in data breach matters. It's great to be with everyone today.
0: Thanks everyone for joining today and uh, looking forward to a really great discussion. Um, So let's kick off. It seems that cybersecurity is a subject right at the top of many corporate agendas at the moment. And we're certainly finding that our clients in the financial services sector are focusing on this more than ever before. Um, Nikki, I wonder if I can come to you first. I'm, I'm wondering if that's how it feels uh, from your perspective.
1: Yes, I think it does. I mean, financial services is apparently the most attacked industry uh, or sector in relation to cybersecurity. And uh, banks, as well as you know other financial institutions, are having to spend hundreds of millions of, of pounds each on their systems every year. One of the large U.S. investment banks um, said that they are now spending $600 million on cyber defences in 2020, and that's three times their budget of 10 years ago. Um, Another recent survey showed for retail banks alone, they've increased their cybersecurity spending by over $600 per employee between 2019 and 2020. But of course, it isn't just about money. It's about obviously finding people, employees who are qualified to enhance and maintain cyber defences and obviously keeping up with the changing nature of the technology and the threats. And of course, that's been shown into even more sharp relief by the fact that everyone suddenly had to work from home or work away from the office because of COVID.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Nikki. And there's a huge legal dimension to this, of course. And James, I wonder if uh, you could give
2: us a flavour for what you're seeing and experiencing at the moment. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Josh. Um, so first of all, I'd probably say that I'd absolutely echo what what Nikki has just said. So, cybersecurity is clearly a critical area for businesses in the financial services sector, you know, as it obviously is for other businesses. But it's perhaps not surprising for you to hear that I have more clients seeking uh, legal advice on cybersecurity issues from the financial services sector than than any other sector. And from a legal perspective, that's mainly to do with the level of regulation. Um, and also the potential for fines as well. So we've recently seen two leisure sector businesses in the UK being fined by the UK's Information Commissioner's office. And without wanting to be overly pessimistic at the start of this podcast, I'd hazard a guess uh, that it won't be too long before uh, the Information Commissioner has a financial services business in its sights. And of course that's before we even start to consider the enforcement powers of uh, the financial services regulators like the FCA in the UK. So you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot to think about from the legal perspective. Thanks, James.
0: Um, Don, if I can uh, turn to you. I mean, you spent several years working inside a a major global financial institution uh, building its cybersecurity defenses. I mean, how did it feel to be on the inside uh, of an issue like this?
3: Yeah, thanks, Josh. Well, very challenging. And as you mentioned, I I did. I worked for a global financial institution where I was in the cybersecurity organization. And I saw how the bank built a world-class cybersecurity organization and some of the challenges the bank faced while securing its cybersecurity infrastructure globally. Uh, and after working in the cybersecurity organization, I led the bank's fraud fusion center where my team's primary responsibility was to mitigate the bank's risk to cyber enabled fraud. And our goal really was to anticipate the fraud threat and prevent fraud from occurring because once the fraud occurred, it was often too late and could result millions of dollars of losses to the bank and potentially impact our customers. The bank, like all other banks, was under constant regulatory scrutiny, so it was extremely important that we comply with all regulatory requirements as established by the Federal Reserve Board, as well as the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and other regulatory agencies. So lots of challenges, not only from a cybersecurity standpoint, but also from a fraud standpoint, and then complying with all the regulatory agencies and requirements as we continue to protect the infrastructure of the bank.
0: So, I mean, thanks everybody. I mean, it's obviously a massive effort across a a whole range of of different areas of focus and and specialization. I mean, Don, just staying with you for a sec, I wonder if you could uh, comment on what kind of trends you're seeing uh, at the moment in cybersecurity as they
3: relate to the financial services industry. Sure, be happy to. So I think first and foremost, one of the things I've seen is that the, the speed and complexity of the threat. Uh, continues to be more challenging. And that's been true, I think, year over year. The threat actors are becoming more sophisticated. They're able to come at the banks uh, in a much more direct way, and also the speed of the threat. So they move much, much quicker, which means the banks have to be in a position to be more nimble, more agile, to defend against that threat. And I've seen it in a number of different areas. If you take a look at some of the current trends and threats that the banks face, for example, customer targeted phishing, smishing, and also vishing. So a combination of pure phishing and then also text messaging with smishing and vishing for voice messages, which oftentimes when this activity is successful by the bad actors, it results in account takeovers. And then of course, one of the other challenges that we faced on a continual basis was employee targeted phishing or spear phishing, uh, which results in bad actors gaining access to banking systems where they can engage in the theft of PII or perhaps launch a more targeted attack, uh, which results in something like ransomware. And then of course, cyber enabled fraud. So this is an area of great concern to financial institutions. It has been for a while and it continues to be so, where you have the bad actor target the bank And they launch, for example, a fraud app attack with something like credit card applications where they're able to extract millions and millions of dollars from the bank and then also engage in other various fraud schemes. And then I think recently, one of the other things that's of great concern is that we've seen the the threat to the digital supply chain with SolarWinds, for example, uh, where you have the bad actor being able to gain access to the bank's infrastructure over a period of time. And do a significant amount of damage, be able to basically peek under the covers and see what the bank is doing and how they're doing it and exploit vulnerabilities. And then finally ransomware, which I believe is a threat more so to some of the smaller and mid-sized banks than it is to the larger banks, but also a significant threat to the financial services marketplace as a whole.
0: Don, I mean, I think it would be a, 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 based, based on that description, a huge understatement to say it's a sort of chilling uh, level of uh, of extraordinary threat, and, and 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 every angle of of attack is is being exploited. Um, I mean, James, if I can come to you uh, just from a legal and regulatory perspective, and what are the kind of trends that that you're seeing and that you're focused on at
2: the moment? Yeah, well, I suppose that the first thing to say is like following following on from what Don has just said. The ever increasing threat, I think, has a change in the way in which uh, the legislation and the policies around it uh, are are being interpreted and also being published. So I think from a trend perspective, it's quite interesting and I think we're at a turning point at the moment. So um, we're starting to move and this very much fits in with what Don was saying to a more prescriptive and focused approach to try and head off some of those issues. So. To date in the UK, cybersecurity in the financial services sector has been regulated through a bit of a patchwork of effectively indirect law. So um, personal data legislation or financial services rule books are focusing on management and operational resilience. And the one main piece of legislation in the UK which specifically deals with cybersecurity, which is the network and information um, systems regulation, actually specifically carves out the financial services sector on the basis that that patchwork covers the issue. At present, we've got GDPR requiring appropriate security measures are put in place regarding personal data. And we've also got our sector-specific legislation, such as MIFID and the FCA's rulebook. But having said that, and this is, I suppose, where the the change comes in, um, whilst not taking effect until March next year, in the UK, we now also have a policy framework from the FCA and the PRA and the Bank of England, which is taking a much closer and far more prescriptive look how firms approach their operational resilience which obviously covers cyber security and in the eu we have the draft digital and operational resilience act or, or dora which forms part of the eu's digital finance strategy and which is going to apply to a large number of eu financial entities and interestingly again picking up on something that don's just said to major suppliers of it to these organizations So I think it's probably fair to say that the trend at the moment um, in this area is for a change in the way that legislation and policy uh, is working so it's becoming more prescriptive and more focused. And that's really helpful. And um, I mean, one of the
0: things that certainly we're talking to our clients about a lot and, and we see sort of featured hugely in the cybersecurity uh, arena is this question of, of resilience and, and operational resilience. Um, uh, and Nikki, I know this is an area that uh, that you're really interested in. I mean, what are what are the sort of trends that you're seeing in, in, in that space?
1: Well, I think, as, as Don and James have both said, I mean, the regulators really are playing a leading role here. Um, because actually, if you're talking about operational resilience, I don't think, speaking as a former, well, I suppose I'm sort of a current legislator as well, I don't think, it's hard to legislate for operational resilience. Actually, you do need to get more prescriptive, and I think that's what the regulators are doing about what the institutions need to to think about. So it has been on the radar of the, the, the PRA, the FCA, the Bank of England for a number of years, but they're really, as James has said, upping their interest in all of this, and I think there's quite a lot of international cooperation uh, as well, particularly in relation to, to Basel. And interestingly, um, uh, a member of the PRA gave a speech um, only uh, this week. And he said that they are now really, in relation to financial services, focusing in a, in a way, as Donna said, on malicious insider and supply chain risks. So a lot of this obviously is down to individuals and you know malicious individuals being inside. I think the other trend is that this is becoming a real um, issue of broad concern to boards so you can't just leave it to the chief information security officer or the chief technology officer or whatever you want to give them the title you can't leave it to the executives you can't even leave it to the board risk committee you know, every board member has got to now be across this whole area of, of cyber security, be asking what the company's doing to protect itself but interestingly also asking what third parties and suppliers are doing and particularly in relation I think to services in the cloud uh, where, you know, often the company's financial institutions are very reliant on, on that third party supplier. So understanding how they are protecting uh, the, the data the financial service institution hands over from uh, cyber attack is incredibly important.
0: Thanks, Nikki. And um, uh, you mentioned sort of board members there and, and, and other sort of senior business leaders. I mean, it feels to me like uh, people in, in those positions, and certainly the clients that we speak to, are contending with so many competing priorities at the moment. And obviously, that's been uh, significantly made more difficult you know, during this last uh, sort of period of, of COVID when operational priorities, as well as security policies and priorities, uh, and, and all sorts of uh, of, of staff-related Issues are coming onto their agenda. I mean, you know, so many pieces of advice out there, so many pieces of uh, possible routes of attention. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to business leaders right now, uh, from a resilience uh, point of view, and perhaps some um, Don, if we could, if we could come to you.
3: Sure. And, and first of all, let me just key off what Nikki said as well. I think one of the points you highlighted about. Uh, board involvement in cybersecurity is extremely important. And I actually think that cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility in the firm. It's not just senior management, although senior management needs to take the lead, but I think everyone else in a position to affect it certainly needs to be involved. It's extremely important. That's where we've seen firms uh, be most successful. And I would say that while most banks have implemented a robust cybersecurity program to protect their computer systems, networks, and data, and comply with regulatory requirements, there's always more that can be done and you have to continually strive to do more. I would recommend independent assessment of their cybersecurity infrastructure every 18 to 24 months. I think it's good to have that independent view. And along with that yearly penetration testing to determine weaknesses or vulnerabilities in their defenses. And perhaps most importantly, have a current incident response plan and exercise it, being prepared for that bad day, which is inevitable, I think for most organizations. And then the other thing I would add finally would be and perhaps uh, very important as well, maybe even more important than the other things is to have a cyber threat intelligence program, understanding who might attack you and how you will be attacked so that you can better put up your defenses against that attack. Don,
0: thank you. I mean, that's a fantastic uh, set of advice there. And uh, Nikki, can I come to you? I mean, what would be your advice uh, in terms of, 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 of how business leaders should contend with this, uh, this issue at the moment?
1: Well I suppose that you know a couple of things I mean exactly as Don said, I think uh, you know, what the conclusion is is that it's a matter of time as to when an attack's going to happen rather than if it's going to happen. So um, you know as, as Don has said, having a, a response plan that's ready to go and work through and, and putting it you know, testing it out to make sure that it does work, um, and, you know, the PRA and FCA operational resilience framework requires you know, a communications plan. And you might think, well, actually, you know, when when uh, a system's under cyber attack, you know, how do you communicate about the outside world? Maybe the least of your problems. But, but depending on the type of institution you are, um, if it's a, a big retail bank where you've got lots of customers who are reliant on their accounts for um, you know, receiving paychecks, for paying deposits for houses, all those kinds of things. Um, then I know from my time in Treasury Select Committee that actually if that goes down, um, it's, it's obviously something that's going to really worry people. So actually having a strong communications plan, working out how you're going to talk to the world about what's going on, how you're going to have confidence that actually the systems are going to come back up. And having that recovery plan uh, is, you know, it's absolutely worth, worth investing in. And then on top of that, I'd say in relation to boards, board training. Uh, Because actually many board members are not cyber experts and actually therefore, you know, I think there is a duty to help them to know how to challenge uh, management and others who are in charge of the plans.
0: Thank you, Nikki. And I think I think your point about communication and reputation management in this space, and engaging boards about how they consider that, is incredibly important. I think increasingly uh, we all recognise that this is an issue that goes, you know, way beyond purely the technical uh, uh, and the resilience, but actually that reputation management and the expectation of of some really important sets of stakeholders uh, is incredibly important as well.
2: Um, I mean, James, from your perspective, you know, where where would you focus uh, your advice? Yeah, so perhaps um, slightly controversially, given that we're talking about cybersecurity, I'm going to divert ever so slightly and and say that um, cybersecurity is obviously very important. It's it's critically important to businesses, but you need to look at your legal obligations in in the round. So um, I think one of the things that I see quite frequently, especially in relation to GDPR, is that there's a significant focus on technical and organizational security in respect of personal data you know absolutely rightly so given that that is an obligation under the legislation but there's perhaps slightly less of a focus on other aspects of the regulation so a good practical example would be around something like data retention um, so paraphrasing ever so slightly the gdpr says that you should only keep personal data for so long as is necessary so if you suffer a data breach and you've kept personal data for much longer than is necessary You're going to have lots of unnecessary customer records and details which could make your data breach a lot worse than it otherwise would have been. And on this point, I think it's quite interesting to remember that the security obligation in something like GDPR is to take appropriate measures. So it's subjective, whereas it's often much more cut and dry as to whether you should have someone's data. So you could therefore find yourself in a situation where you've reported a data breach to a regulator under the GDPR because the relevant notification threshold has been met, but the data breach itself is technically not a breach of the security obligation under the GDPR because you've implemented appropriate security. And that sounds like it, it should be good news. And obviously it it often is, but the problem here is that if the regulator takes an interest in your organization because of the notification you've made, and it discovers that whilst you've got good security, which is great, your general compliance isn't up to scratch. You could find the regulator taking action in respect of those other shortcomings. So the data breach has effectively acted as a hook um, or or opening a door to allow the regulator to look under the bonnet. So obviously do focus on your security measures, but don't let your other legal obligations take too much of a backseat, as that could be problematic if a cybersecurity event does occur and and a regulator comes knocking. James, that's fascinating. Thank you uh, very much for that. And one
0: of the things uh, I think just sort of shifting the focus to the future that I think we'd all recognize uh, is that cybersecurity is a constantly evolving, constantly changing topic. And it's not something where any organization can tick a box and assume that it has understood the risks that that it's got things covered. Um, So I think looking to the future now, um, how is cybersecurity for financial institutions evolving? and, And what do you see changing? Uh, over the coming years. Perhaps, uh, Nikki, if I could come to you first.
1: Well, I think this conversation shown, and, and Don, with his, what's it, smishing, phishing, vishing, um, has has demonstrated that, as you say, the, the cyber threats are evolving all of the time, as the tech I- evolves. Um, and, um, and so I think two things I'd say in terms of a future. I mean, firstly, you know, the interest of regulators is only going to get more so, um, and I suspect they'll become more prescriptive unless they are confident that the financial institutions are Um, putting in place good good plans but equally i mean i know that this is very much now on the radar of government so um, i think uh, both in terms of the new uh, national uh, cyber security uh, center that's been set up but also things like um, the national security investment bill where actually making sure that um, uh, national companies and assets are not being uh, sold to uh, to companies that might open up cyber risks is going to be a big thing I mean, the other thing is, I think for boards, they might think about insurance being somewhere that they can actually uh, help to outsource risk. But actually, uh, one of the large insurers has recently announced that it wouldn't insure French companies for payouts to ransomware payments to cyber criminals. So I think if the insurance industry is beginning to say, well, hang on a second, we may not pay for this, or we may not cover the costs, then that throws a responsibility back to boards and to companies to put in place you know, as much protection as they can. Whilst noting, I think James is a very fair point, which is that boards are under a lot of demands um, and there's many other things they've got to get right to.
0: Nikki, thank you. And I think, you know, you're putting your finger on a profoundly important point there as you draw attention to how some of the institutions such as insurance companies can act as significant levers of, of behavioural and preparedness change uh, uh, in, in organisations uh, across the board. Um, I mean, James, perhaps if I can come to you next and and, and, and get your
2: perspective on, on what you see changing uh, over the coming years. Yeah, sure. So, As I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about current trends, I was saying, you know, we're at a bit of a turning point in terms of trends at the moment. So I agree with Nikki in that I very much see the the legal and regulatory landscape on cybersecurity becoming more focused and more prescriptive. And as I mentioned earlier, this in the immediate future is represented by uh, the policy framework and DORA. Uh, The second point that I would make is that uh, we've seen this concept of privacy by design in the general data protection regulation. So that's embedded within the legislation and i think perhaps now what we're starting to see is a little bit of a move uh, maybe a general move towards resilience by design albeit that i don't think that's found its way into the legislation as a as a hard-baked term Um now that can only be good i think for re- resilience of systems um, and security and i'm sure it's good practice already but i very much see the fact that if we're getting more prescriptive and more focused, then that's kind of where we're going. And the final point that I would make on this is things that I think we're going to see more of um, is the rise of class actions. And, you know, that might be something that's more common in the US already. Um, But I think we're already starting to see the, the start of a class action culture in the UK in respect of data breaches. So that's definitely one for businesses to watch out for. James, thank you very much. Um, Don, I'm gonna come to you next. So fishing, vishing, schmishing,
0: as we look to the future, we're gonna be seeing a a new evolution of uh, of these words. What what do you see uh, uh, as the the changing dimension of this for the future?
3: Well, I think so. As I mentioned, I think what we're gonna continue to see is the cyber threat evolve, and it's gonna continue to become uh, more complex and more of a challenge for all financial institutions, whether large or small. Uh, The threat actors have just gotten much better at what they do, and and granted, the financial institutions have as well. And typically, financial institutions tend to lead the pack when it comes to cybersecurity. Normally, uh, they have a much more robust uh, cybersecurity infrastructure, but it it will continue to be more challenging for them as well. And I think the other thing that we're going to see is this this move to uh, working remotely, which, of course... Uh, was the result of COVID and so many people out of the office that provides potentially another attack vector for the bad guys or for the bad actors. And so that's something that's going to need to be considered uh, as we move forward. And then I think, and, and James alluded to this as well, that the whole emphasis on data privacy and the enactment of new data privacy regulations will have a significant impact on many banks and their cybersecurity programs. We're seeing it here in the U.S. Uh, class action suits are, are quite common. And then the enactment of new laws and regulations. You look at what California is doing right now with CCPA and some of the laws that have been enacted in New York and other states. And so I think that's going to continue to be a much bigger challenge and something that's going to have to be uh, planned for uh, as firms look to budget and to make changes to their cybersecurity infrastructure as they move forward.
0: Well, Nikki, Don, James, uh, thank you all very, very much indeed for what has been an extremely uh, rich uh, and fascinating uh, discussion. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights uh, and experience in this area. Uh, So I'd like to finish by thanking you all for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast series so that you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity or at Travis Smith and how we help build a resilient future for our clients, please reach out to me or any of today's guests.